Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Triple Feature. Hey, hey, hey. I am one of your hosts, Freddie. I am Emma. And I am Seabear. We are your hosts, as I said, for Triple Feature Podcast. If this is your first time tuning in on this show, we pick a topic every single month, and then each one of us picks a movie related to that topic, and then over the course of the month, we'll discuss them, we recap them as a triple feature, and as you'll see in this episode, we'll also go over a new release. So, I just wanted to say really quick, um, we have intro music now for our podcast, started on the last episode, and it's continuing on this episode. Yeah. Specifically, it is from essentially my brother, Oasi. Um, you can check him out over on Spotify. It's spelled A-W-E-S-I-I-N-H. And specifically, the song that we're using for our introduction is called Daybreak. Yeah, it's really cool. It is a cool little synth pop sound with a beat, and I really dig it. So thank you for providing us with some music. Yes, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> All right, so... Like Freddie was saying this week, um, just like we do every week, we're going to recap our weeks, what we've been watching in our recently watched, and then we're going to recap the month of Spooky October and discuss the triple feature aspect of the podcast. And then we will finally discuss October's new release discussion, which will be about Killers of the Flower Moon. Directed by Martin Scorsese. And then we will also tell you about what next month, next month's theme is going to be. So, let's get started with our recently watched Sea Bear. What would you like to discuss? Well, my watch list is going to be short. Uh, so, the only thing I watched this week was Silence of the Lambs. Me and Tasha went to that theater again the hollywood boulevard to go see silence of the lambs hello um, clarice yeah <laughs> it is still a masterpiece in my mind it's probably one of the best horror movies out there uh the wonder why i won best picture in all of the academy awards <laughs> uh this time around watching it i've really noticed the close-ups and everything and really like gets under your skin with how close and how like down the barrel everyone looks at the camera um but yeah it was a good good watch tasha's first time watching it so that was great she loved it um but other than that i've been playing my friend shout out my friend colin he has lent me his ps5 because since the announcement of spider-man 2 i told him i need to get your ps5 so i can play this right away uh, and he let me borrow it early, so now I'm replaying the first Spider-Man. After I beat that, I will be playing Miles Morales, and then after that, finally play Spider-Man 2. But recently, as of this recording, I just beat the first Spider-Man, and I think after this, after playing it now on a PS5, and really thinking about it after just beating it, I think this is truly one of if not the best video games of all time but also one of the best spider-man stories ever told that isn't from the source that is the comic books i think this beats out all of the movies any of the tv shows like it is 
one of the best video games I've ever played. And story-wise, like, it is just insane. Like, it, it is insane that we have that that good of a Spider-Man story uh, told. Wow. I didn't think you were that much of a gamer, Seabear. So are you... <laughs> um, like, do you play games uh just for entertainment or is i'm well i guess it's i guess it's all either way it's entertainment but i mainly also, yeah there's also like story value which you are yeah. bringing to the table so is that like are you only interested in games that have a narrative appeal yeah as as i've grown older those are the ones that i gravitate more like yeah when i was younger it was just you know multiplayer call of duty halo those types of games but now as i grow older i'm like i i I really attach to the campaign like the story and stuff and with this it's like yeah like the game itself feels amazing like the swinging is awesome it's like the best feeling ever especially with the dual sense and like the game just is great and especially like how much i'm a big batman fan like this like again just beats out those games too the batman arkham games um just like by like how much you feel like spider-man but with the story it's just like it just i don't know like it just feels like you are spider-man living in this new york and how all these different villains or characters come at you just feels so natural that like no other movie has tried to tackle they've tried to do it so many times in the movies of tackling other villains but mainly movies it's like you have your one main villain and that's it whereas this game there's like i want to say like nine villains that you meet throughout the game (laughs) that you beat and stuff and it's just crazy that each one of them have like a small mini arc to then get to the big bad villain that's at the end for for his big arc Hmm. so is it is because I actually I haven't played through any of these new Spider-Man games. Um, is it based on any of the comic? Is it based on any of the comics or is it entirely its own story? It is entirely its own story. So like the the way you start off the game is that Spider-Man is already Spider-Man. And there is no origin story. Um, you don't see, you know, Uncle Ben get shot. You don't get the spider bite. It's Spider-Man like pretty much in New York for like... I say maybe like five years or something like that. I don't know. Like it's he's pretty like in into the business of of crime fighting, and from there it's about you trying to unravel this story of Dragon's Breath and uh, uh, Mister Negative is the villain, the one of the main villains of the story. And as the story goes on, things reveal and and unreveal, and it's mainly the. Th- so at the end of the second act, it ends, and it ends in a way where it feels like the game should cut to credits. And then there's something that happens at that that leads into the third act, that that's what cements this being one of the greatest Spider-Man stories to then get to the ending that it's just like nailing out of the park. And for people that played the game, one of the best moments in the game is the ending with Aunt May specifically. And that moment at the end always makes me cry. And it's just like, <laughs> like, like video games that can make you cry like that are yeah. just like, I don't know if like, that has like ever those are happened. art. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's, there is definitely, it's like video games are something that they can be a very powerful storytelling medium. Um, 
and but, but there are a lot of games that don't really utilize it to i would say it. it's fullest but there are definitely yeah. like there are definitely stories that i've played in video games that have like impacted me very heavily i i played through um i played through omori and omori had me all sorts of messed up for like months and that is that is fan a fantastic game mm. with just a with a really engrossing story but um I do think that it's very interesting that you find that for being such a big Spider-Man fan, I find it really interesting that you're like, no, this is this is peak Spider-Man story. Yeah, like this is everything that like everyone complains about in the movies and stuff of like, or at least like the newer version, like the Tom Holland versions of like, we just want Spider-Man being Spider-Man. We just want him like doing Spider-Man stuff. And like the fact that like a video game can allow you to do that stuff, you know, go like as you're swinging through the city, like crimes will just pop up and you can, you know, fight these thugs or uh, these prisoners that like from a prison escape and then go do like these side missions. And the fact that like a lot of them are so organic, like you meet Tombstone or like any other Spider-Man villain, like Screwball and stuff and do these like little small side missions and they feel again like so organic like a spider-man comic where like in the comic runs you have your big villain but then you know for each you know single issues or whatever he might fight some smaller villains or whatever to then get to the big bad and this kind of feels like that where it like ramps up where especially when it gets to that third act reveal it's like oh my like damn like this is like i can't believe like insomniac is doing this with with this type of property and it just solidifies insomniac the publisher of this video game company as like one of the best in the business and playstation is like insane for doing it i mean everyone knows playstation for having like the best developers with like making god of war or uh, the last of us and stuff and just like really pushing the boundaries of storytelling with video games with like their games specifically Okay, okay. Well, um... But, but yeah, like, pretty much for these next couple weeks or so until I beat Spider-Man 2, I feel like my watch list is going to be a little <laughs> lacking in the department. <laughs> um, Your because average I, on Letterboxd is going to go down yes, to but like it's only because instead of 7. Yeah, It's only because, like it's I said, it's you... not my PS5. So I have yeah. to return it. So I'm trying to, like, play these at, at my pace, but, like, at a bit at a faster pace than I normally would have if I owned this PS5 and stuff. I do think it's funny though that it's like your average weekly watch list is like <laughs> it's like kind of insane. Um, it's like five. It's like five. So a week now I you're checked. like you're like I've <laughs> yeah. I've you're like I only have one movie this week. It's like I've only had one movie the last like <laughs> the two <laughs> I weeks, know like, two three weeks so. But, Speaking yeah. of watching one movie a week, Freddie, what was your recently watched? What's so, your one movie? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, my one movie is Everything Everywhere All at Once. Oh my Ooh. god! So uh, I rewatched Everything Everywhere All at Once. Best picture, um, Everything Everywhere All at Once. Yes, and seven-time Oscar-winning. Like for some reason, I gave it 
uh, four and a half stars. Yeah, when I watched why it the, the first hell did theaters. you do that? I don't know. Ask the person that I used to be, I guess, before I saw it <laughs> the second time because I don't know what that person was on. Because that's a five out of five. That's a literal perfect movie. It is a masterpiece. No, everything, everywhere, all at once probably changed my life and changed my perspective on the universe. And yeah, just. Yeah, it, it changed my life, and it is like one of my favorite movies of all time. As, as soon as I watched it, I was like, "That was one of the most interesting, most unique films I have ever seen in my life." It's just phenomenal. Yeah, it has so much going for it, and it's such an underdog like story of a movie at the same time, with mm. it just being like this like the little chinese immigration immigrant family yeah it, but yeah. it's like this it's like the little indie film that could yeah. and they're like came say, out of yeah, nowhere and no, for like, real what yeah the... oh i thought you meant the story of the movie but no, like, the, I meant, story like, of the story of the story of movie. the like yeah. physical the fact, physical movie yeah yeah the I fact guess, that it right. had so much yeah. legs not in the box office but the fact that it came out from what i remember it came out like late march like early april and it the was oscars late march, still early april and the Oscars still like remembered that movie because the Oscars are notorious for forgetting movies that come out around that time, like beginning of the year, because yeah. like Paddington premiered, Two never got nominated. It premiered at Tragedy South by Southwest in the middle of March, and yeah. I might be mistaken. So, audience, correct me if I'm wrong. I do believe that it is the only film to premiere at South by Southwest to win Best Picture. Probably. Because normally, you know, you're getting your con, your Telluride, your New York Film Festival, TIFF festivals that are premiering your Best Picture winners. And it never really happens for Sundance people or South by Southwest people. So those are like the smaller indie. It is a triumph for indie cinema. Yeah. It's also uh, crazy. Speaking too, of Sundance, that is like the yeah. that is like a dream of mine is to go to Sundance specifically. It's a dream. I have been to South by Southwest because I am from the great state of Texas, where that takes place. Texas, and it's a great festival. It's movies and music. But they say things are uh, bigger there in Texas. Are they? I've never <laughs> heard that before. <laughs> from the source, from the source, you must from answer now. On Tell me now: is everything bigger? <laughs> is everything everywhere all at once? Um, but I was there was just like a couple things that, um, you know, I don't that I just I just I got to show some appreciation for on the second viewing because oh, it's only your second time to watch it. No, I'm yeah. just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> watched it like no. 10 times. <laughs> I should I should have seen it more. However, um, I think part of the reason is uh, I just weep uncontrollably no, it's, it's... for that whole movie. It's like everything about it, um, like the family dynamics, it's so, it's like- The philosophy. For, it's like, listen. The listen. existentialism. For- like, for any <laughs> any I can't speak on behalf of everybody but <laughs> I do want to say I think that this film resonates in a, like a really different way for people from like minority groups yeah um obviously especially immigrant families 
it's gonna be even more so but like even for me there's there's shit in this movie that i'm mm-hmm. like i just mm-hmm. <sighs> i'm like ow yeah but like in a good way Ooh, that hurts um, but there's like a couple things so one thing right off the bat when um they're walking through the laundry the laundromat at the beginning and evelyn is just like she's like having like her big like she's like trying to keep it together but mm-hmm. clearly isn't mm-hmm. and she's walking through there and he and the the one washing machine is out and he has the googly eyes on it wayman put the googly eyes up on the Ugh. the sign that says do not like uh, it says like out of order use another mm-hmm. washer or whatever and um she, and she walks like, by and she off. rips them down mm-hmm. i'm like you managed to foreshadow like this entire plot point mm-hmm. with a two second no shot. more google eyes it's like it's so good mm-hmm. um it's perfect also the there's so many okay <laughs> the quote the quote the quote so even though so even no, though you have broken you're gonna my make heart me cry again, you have to stop you're gonna make me cry I on wanted this to podcast say, in another life <laughs> oh my God. i would have really liked doing laundry and taxes with you <laughs> it's so i i want to say i cried i cried three times pre-rocks right (laughs) pre-rocks there's two parts to this movie there's post-rock and yes as soon as the wayman speech comes up i just like can't handle it and i am like i just i'm just crying i'm just bawling my eyes out dude it's too watching this movie I have a tattoo but on it feels my so wrist. Good afterwards. Oh, it's Evelyn's like a rock. Can you yes. see it, Connor? Yes, I can. The the, the rock tattoo impacted me greatly. It's... Michelle Yeoh is badass. Like she is a total badass, yes. and she gets to do the coolest thing in this movie. She gets to like show off how badass she is, and she's like almost 70 years old yeah it is. and she is kicking ass and at the same time showing like, the most ass. vulnerability mm-hmm. the most uh emotional strength yeah. and a lot of depth and she's funny as shit too yeah it is a she's range doing so much it is a range role for her to be filling and she fills it effortlessly and it was because like it's it like was the made story, for her yeah the story is literally her like made for tying her. into mm-hmm. or like uh like connecting with these other like alternate reality versions of herself so mm-hmm. it's like she is just constantly having to do all of these different like and she character got that Oscar. She Elements. got that Best Actress Oscar. You know she I thought, thought it was. I know, like the role was made for her, but I thought the original part was supposed to go to Jackie Chan. It was. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, it was supposed to be about a father and son. I thought. Well, it wasn't. I know, but then because <laughs> I well, I know that. But what what's crazy is is because like what we're talking about with Michelle Yeoh's range. And how, like, in Jackie Chan interviews, because I went down yeah. a rabbit hole at the beginning of the I don't year, know like, if Jackie, Jackie Chan, Chan. could have pulled off what Michelle did, you know? Well, because of the fact of, like, Jackie Chan in his later years, that's why he picked different roles. Like, when he was uh, promoting The Foreigner, he was talking about how when he didn't want to be typecast as, like, 
a stuntman or just like action movies. He wanted to show that he can be an actor, that he that he is an actor. He's not a stuntman, that he is an actor. And so he tried to like pick like other movies like that, but it never really like broke out that way because everyone knows Jackie Chan as, you know, the action guy, the stunt guy. And Michelle Yeoh was like that for the longest time as well. And it's just now like people are now noticing like, oh no, like she's just always been like this great and this kick ass. But like, it just had to be this, for the lack of a better term, like an American movie for people to realize, oh, mm-hmm. this person's great. And now like, mm-hmm. because of that, because I saw on Letterboxd, like an explosion of people like watching her Watched films, especially her when uh, Criterion Channel put the Michelle Yeoh collection on there as Ugh. well. And it's just like, yeah, she's awesome. She is the moment. She is mother. We bow down. Also, the power uh, that is Michelle Yeoh. Yeah, and also what's what's his name too? His he had oh, Ki- the Ki- best. Kiwi Kwan. Kiwi Kwan had the best time, like Raymond taking taking pictures with heart. every celebrity. Oh yeah, <laughs> and like Raymond like is, is the soul of that <sighs> movie. He is the emotional crux. Yeah, without Wayman's character, that movie doesn't come together, and. Well, it's because he like was a perfectly... shoe. He was a shoe in for best supporting yeah. actor because that role was just the most supporting performance. Yeah, but it helped. It helped to also take those pictures, like you were saying, Connor, because yeah. that helped his campaign a lot. Well, because like he perfectly... he just was so real. Yeah, they perfectly they perfectly complement each other mm. as characters and as actors yeah. in that movie. Yeah, and then there's Stephanie Shu who. Should have won the Oscar. Should have won. That's my hot take. <laughs> like, yeah, I, Jamie Lee Curtis is Jamie Lee Curtis, and she's great. And that role mm-hmm. was funny. But to but, say that that's a better supporting performance than what Stephanie was doing is yes. a crime. It's a yeah. crime. <laughs> that is that is insane. But I understand legacy Ox- Oscars of just like, well, she might not get yeah. another one, so like we gotta yeah. give her one. <laughs> you better give Stephanie Shu one. I know. Soon. It's like. If she's like giving whole, more performances like that, it's it's gotta be coming. It's <laughs> yeah. gotta be. Um I think maybe we need to have a everything everywhere all at once episode. Oh, I because, feel like that will come. Yeah. Cause it's it's we it, we all love it. It's very no, I have an universally idea. beloved and <laughs> it is um I have an idea I for think a month. we can really talk about in depth we don't want to spoil any months connor we can have that conversation i know that's what that's what i'm saying is like i have an idea for a month (laughs) that could work with everything everywhere (laughs) i know sounds great um yeah all right freddie do you have Um, anything else to say about yeah i was just gonna tell like a funny little story about everything everywhere all at once um so the first time i saw everything everywhere all at once was in theaters uh, I knew nothing about it going into it. Um, Faith wanted to see it. Wow. She wanted to see it because it had Jamie Lee Curtis in it. That's I saw zero trailers. And then we sat down in the theater and they get the A24 little, you know. You didn't know it was A24? Card. Wow. And then as soon as I saw that, I'm like, oh, we're in for it. Oh, shit. Yeah. This is about to be. This is probably going to be a very good movie. This is a banger. And then, well, it's either going to be a horror movie or a really good movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If it's not a horror film, it's going to wreck your yeah. soul. Yeah. But the or thing both. that was crazy was we went inside, 
uh like i said i know nothing about it so everything that's happening in this story i'm just like i'm like on the edge of my seat just i'm along for the ride on this like this is this is wild but i'm having a great time and our the theater we saw it in the projector died in the middle of the movie and the they turned the theater lights on but only like the the ones by the exits so it's like it wasn't like oh the lights are on now it was like that you should find your seat lighting you know what i mean like right before the movie starts mm-hmm. so this movie is like such a like surreal trip that the screen goes blank and the audio's playing and it is the it's like right after the wayman speech and yeah. it's all the rocks it's like the the rock scene is where this projector cuts out. Whoa. So all you're hearing is like the ambient sound of this scene cuz it's all subtitles. Mm-hmm. And then the lights are the lights like slowly come on and everybody in this theater is looking around like nobody's getting up to say, "Hey, we think our projector broke." Everybody's like is this a part of the movie? <laughs> <laughs> like, and, and, like me, me and Faith stuff? looked at each other and we're like, is this supposed to be happening? Like, does the screen <laughs> right, just go blank? Because that scene like, like, is so minutes? trippy. Like, it's, it was so, because it's like right when like, it's like, it's like visually you're just getting bombarded and then all of a sudden it's like nothing. And so we're like, I, this could, this could very well be this movie. This could be something that's supposed to happen. Then they rewind it and go back and we're like, oh, okay. But it was like, it took like probably four or five minutes before people realized that like maybe this isn't supposed to be happening in the middle of this movie. You didn't feel like, it was like, so uh, you didn't feel like in Disneyland, like the life is like a bug or whatever. Like this, your seat started punching you in the back and like tickled your feet. <laughs> You didn't oh get that God, experience. Like the 4D movie. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I was waiting for. I'm like, is this about to be like a like a like a crazy meta experience where like the theater starts doing stuff? Like this is about to be insane. But wow. yeah, that was that was just it was just it like of all the movies to have like a weird technical difficulty like that, everything everywhere all at once was probably like the most jarring and confusing one to have that happen in. <laughs> most sure. movies you would immediately say, oh, something's not right. But I think it just speaks to just like how how much that movie keeps you on your toes and like all the twists and turns that it's like, no, this legitimately could be happening. Mm-hmm. This could the be most, intentional. The most editing of any film I've ever seen. So I will move on to my recently watched I usually watch four movies a week, so including Killers of the Flower Moon, I also watched Taylor Swift, The Eras Tour, the concert film that she released this year based on her tour that was also this year, and I had a great time. Spoilers, I want the set list. Just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) She only plays one Speak Now song. I thought you were gonna say one song at first. I'm like, really? Because <laughs> it's Taylor Swift's yeah, hour and a half long. And that was my, and that was when I took a bathroom break because <laughs> I went with a friend who had already seen it, and she mm. had a Spotify list of every song that is in the movie, 
and was keeping track of what was coming next. And damn. Uh, so anyway, no, she's a Swifty. She's obsessed. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and it was really fun to go with a Swifty because mm-hmm. we were just we were we were sitting in our seats. We weren't like up and dancing, but we were dancing in our seats. Yeah, and we were singing out loud in our seats. So that was fun. Um, but she came out with her speak now dress and I said, is this a good time to go to the bathroom? And she was like, she's going to sing this one song and then it's red. And I was like, I got to go because I reds red is my album. <laughs> That's yeah. my favorite Taylor Swift album. It's I love red. I love red. And so I was like, I'm not going to miss anything from red. So I like ran to the bathroom and ran back and I got to catch the beginning of red. So yeah. It was it was a blast. Um, How long is it? It's two hours two and hour. 30, it's 40 whole... minutes. Okay. It's, it's about three hours if you include trailers. Okay. So it was it was a lot. I would not recommend going to see Taylor Swift if you are not a Taylor Swift fan because you will be bored. If you don't I mean, know the music, movie. if you don't know the music, you're going to be very bored. So, you know, I'm only... it's, it's literally it's not a narrative or anything. It's literally like the movie opens and it's the stage and then it just yeah, is footage of her concert and then it ends. Yeah. And it's, well, it, you know, it, there's no there's no behind the scenes. There's no like, oh, Taylor, you know, talking about like, oh, this was my inspiration for this. It was just like, here's the show. Yeah. You know, so Do you remember when that was a thing for a while. Yeah. Like, Cause... like. Like Justin Bieber and Katy Perry, Jonas Brothers, Jonas Brothers. Yeah, yeah, I saw so, all of those. So I didn't see all of them, but I did see. Um, I saw the Hannah Montana concert in 3D, oh, um, hell yeah. and my sister decided to look <laughs> and say something at me when, like, the one cool 3D thing that happened in that whole movie was like the guitarist like throws a pick at the screen. I'm like, whoa! And she, of course, she's not even looking at the screen. I'm like, you just missed like the the coolest the only thing cool thing that, that happened, happened in this whole movie. I mean, yeah. other than you know getting to listen to some classic Hannah Montana jams. Oh boy! I bet um, that did was they play the climb? I also saw the YouTube one. Yeah, y'all. y'all this are, is y'all this are is like Hannah Montana. Like this is like Hannah Montana. Hannah Montana. I'm pretty sure. This yeah, did she play the climb? climb. Oh, I think it's pre the, the climb. climb. Hannah Montana, oh. because the climb is Miley Cyrus, oh isn't it? Oh my gosh, y'all are so young. Well, the climb is from the movie. <laughs> I'm way too old for Miley Cyrus and Hannah Montana. No, the climb, no, we the climb there. is from the Hannah Montana we movie. <laughs> I will say my my um most of my like uh Taylor Swift like knowledge comes from like like I remember being there at the beginning. And like all the classics, you get the You Belong With Me. Sure. And then like, it was like, I remember distinctly watching every year, like the country music awards trying to justify more and more why they need to put Taylor Swift as like, why they need <laughs> to keep giving Taylor Swift awards. And I'm like, at one, at some point I'm like, this was a pop album that just came out. Mm-hmm. And I think you're just putting Taylor Swift in this award ceremony because it's taylor swift because, and she doubles the viewership yeah, because of this she's show the only quote-unquote country artist that brings in any sort of notable revenue yeah <laughs> and, and then also all too well is an absolute banger all too well that. is my favorite song from taylor swift i think it's a masterpiece in songwriting so um but yeah the only yeah the only concert movie i've seen is the michael jackson 
uh, This Is It I also movie. saw the Michael Jackson This um, Is It Because movie. my grandma... I don't think I enjoy <laughs> concert movies, I'm being honest. Well, I don't think yeah. I have a good time. <laughs> I think it's so well, funny that it's like, of course, it's like the two that I've seen, neither of you have seen. But you I have seen I have seen the Hannah <laughs> Montana one. Still but like I saw it later. contrarian in my <laughs> concert movie going? Well, I... I saw the Hannah Montana one, but not in theaters. That was the thing. Oh, okay, so okay. The main, the main thing that I saw in theaters was the Michael Jackson one because my grandma loved uh, Michael Jackson, and we took her to go see it for her birthday. Me, my mom, and my grandma. But the thing that I liked about the Michael Jackson one was it basically was a documentary showing like what would have been his tour. That this is, that this is it. Is tour. this it? Yeah, and yeah, and it and was going to be so. his greatest hit tour, and what. I'm fascinated about with the eras tour was I'm like the the thing that fascinated me about the tour itself of seeing the TikToks and everything. And I'm like, Oh my God, this is like what Michael Jackson's tour would have been. And Taylor's like doing the damn thing. And it just makes me go like, I, at some point, like I just think like Taylor Swift is the queen of pop. Like she is like now, like she an icon. kind of is. Um, and I will say it's an incredible show. And she is basically doing in like really hard things for two and a half hours and she doesn't seem tired and she did it night after night after night for months. And crazy. She's super strong and super healthy and she's kinda like in her prime right now. It 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 feels like it. Um so yeah, I do think she's kind of rocking it right now and i think what you're to what you're saying in in terms of like the michael jackson documentary i think that's what the beyonce uh uh, concert film renaissance is going to be more more about it's going to be about the show obviously but i think it's going to be because if you've seen the coachella homecoming documentary um it was more so like behind the scenes how how we got this together while also showing a little bit of who beyond like just a little bit more about who she is and and her struggles and so i think yeah i think renaissance might be more of like a film than a concert movie you know so i'm excited about seeing that one and like i said i had fun with taylor swift because i knew 99 percent of the songs there were maybe like one or two that i didn't know yeah yeah my guilty pleasure is taylor swift sad and lady yeah Ganda. There's no guilty pleasure about Lady Gaga. Yeah, Lady Gaga. No, it's Lady just Gaga people is literally my Spotify. An my Spotify artiste. is a lot of pop punk, so it's just like it's a lot of like rock and pop punk. It's like when people, I, I, for the longest time, I would listen to pop. I would just listen to the radio because that's all my parents would play and stuff. So I like, I have like... certain artists that I like, but it's like when people look at me, they're like, "Wait, you like that artist?" I'm like, "Yeah, like I like Kesha. I like yeah. like all these like artists." Yeah, but I think I don't. I don't know if. This is not a music podcast, so we're going to move on quickly. But I don't think it's fair to say that like pop music is a guilty pleasure because no, it's I, just certain I just feel that, like I, I just feel like pop is like a joke to most of music uh critics and things like that and I yeah. think that pop is very important to the culture. Even though it might not always be very good, there is very good pop music. Yeah. And Lady Gaga is one of them. I, I love her. I think it's very valid. <laughs> All right. Uh, besides Taylor Swift, I also rewatched A Nightmare Before Christmas. That was my comfort 
uh, October spooky, which like, is it a Halloween movie or is it a Christmas movie? My hot take is a Christmas movie. Nightmare Before Christmas. Okay. Uh, I don't, I don't think that I, my, it's Christmas because they're saving Christmas. I think that it's, I think that is the marketing genius of the Nightmare Before Christmas (laughs) is that it's, it is. Yeah. I mean, the music to start off. Like this is Halloween and things like that. Um, are... But the whole, but the whole plot and center point is yeah, them it's about saving, saving Christmas, Christmas. and yeah, Christmas. It's about saving so that's Christmas. why that's why I argue it that it's a... more Christmas. But yeah, I can yeah. see both. It so is I a holiday that. movie. It is a holiday movie that manages to justify being played twice a year. Yeah. Sure. Okay, it's a holiday movie because it can be a Halloween movie and, and a, Christmas a Christmas movie. movie. Yeah. yeah. All right. I just I just watch it on Christmas because it breaks up the traditional like Christmas movies that I normally watch because it's more it like you know Halloween. Is, so it's like it oh like this is, is kind of more a... spooky and stuff. It's like Gremlins. It's an oddity. It's an oddity for sure to be a Christmas movie. That's why I don't feel like watching it during Christmas. I'm like this doesn't feel like Christmas. It feels like <laughs> but Halloween. they save Santa Claus. Spooky. <laughs> yeah, but even Santa Claus looks like a creep. You watch. Yeah. You watch. Uh... You watch A Nightmare Before Christmas at Halloween, and then you like listen to Oingo Boingo at Christmas. No, <laughs> <laughs> I think that was, that was an inside that, joke that they. That was a good reference because I don't know it. Oingo <laughs> uh, Boingo, Danny Elfman. Yeah, Danny oh, Elfman okay. is the lead I know that Danny Boingo. Elfman made the music for Nightmare yeah. Before Christmas and a lot of other things, but I don't know Oingo a Boingo. ton of other things. He's also Jack Skellington. Yeah, I know he's Jack Skeleton. And Catherine O'Hara is Sally. Sally. Yeah, we love we we, we love Catherine O'Hara. Okay, Catherine. enough about that movie. We've we blah blah blah. Um Barbie. Barbie. I bought Hi, Barbie. Barbie on Blu-ray. And I watched it for the fourth time. I watched it three times in theaters. Wow. And I watched it again today. And a lot like Freddy and his rewatch of Everything Everywhere All at Once. Barbie is basically my... What what Everything Everywhere All at Once was to me last year, Barbie is that to me this year. I have so much reverence for this movie. It is... The first half hour, mm-hmm. I am in knots laughing yeah. at how hilarious, specifically Ryan Gosling is. Everything he does so good. makes me <laughs> He's so funny. laugh uh, so, so hot. much when he is on the I dance floor and... He's on the dance floor at the on the, in the dance scene at the beginning, and he sees the Simu Liu Ken, um, you know, telling Barbie that she looks good, and he just growls. <laughs> <laughs> and then he does this like aggressive, like the little aggressive dance. And then he's like dancing next to Barbie, and he's like, "Yes, yes, yes, yes." <laughs> um, everything he does is so funny, and then you get into like the the meat of the story and mm-hmm. he turns into this villain and he he really does it all in this movie and Just he um, sources. literally when uh, I don't, yeah we're 
we we may or not not go deeper into Barbie on this podcast as well. We'll figure that out. But yeah, I was gonna say um, you might want to save I, a lot of this. It could be an episode. It could be an episode <laughs> yeah. that we have dedicated try, to Barbie could, because yeah, you could try to fit a month into talking about Barbie. Yeah, and I just feel like with the end of the year coming up and like the Oscars coming up, True. we're gonna we're gonna have a lot of opportunities to talk about why this movie is so great. Yeah. And our thoughts on it and our ratings and things like that. I think you might have an idea of what my rating would be. Um, <laughs> no way. <laughs> no, but for the three last, out of ten. So for the first half hour, I'm in knots laughing, and for the last half hour, my eyes are just swollen shut from just bawling my eyes out i yeah i greta gerwig is the goat i just love her so much it's i mean very much in the same vein of everything everywhere all at once it's the range it's like the 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 highs highs of the laugh Mm -hmm. the like the highs the highs of the comedy and i'm not gonna say lows literally the highs of like the emotional Mm -hmm. core to the movie like the speech the speech, America Ferrera oh speech. Oh my god, I was crying. Yeah, it's it, it so it's so powerful. Yeah, it got me again this time. I will a fourth time, fourth time, and I'm still just as soon as she started talking, I was just like, oh my god, this is so good. Anyway, so <laughs> we don't need to do this. We yeah. don't need to get okay. too much into Barbie. So we'll We're, get into Barbie eventually. Yeah. Don't you worry. Don't. We're going to talk very much about Barbie. We, I <laughs> love Barbie. I love Greta Gerwig. I love Margot Robbie. And I love Ryan Gosling. There's a lot to be said about all that. Okay, guys. That is our recently watched. Um, let's recap Spooky October. So we've watched three films this month. Starting with Cloverfield. Connor... Give us a brief synopsis, recap of, of what Cloverfield is about for our audience. Yeah, Cloverfield is a 2008 movie found, I guess you could say found footage movie of an attack on New York of a monster that comes from an unknown place and starts re- Godzilla-like monsters, starts wreaking havoc on New York. And it's just about people trying to survive. And our conversation was mainly about the, like, the moral crux of our conversation was more about the 9-11 themes that happens throughout that that movie and how uh, terrifying and scary that is. But overall, yeah, it's just a big old monster movie. <laughs> awesome. And then in week two, we watched Blood Quantum. Freddie, tell us about that one since it was your pick. Yeah, Blood Quantum is a 2019 indigenous-made film about a zombie apocalypse on a canadian reservation um with the premise being that all of the indigenous people of the community are immune to the zombie virus so you get a lot of allegory for colonialism and it's it's fantastic but it's got it's got a lot of um it's got a lot of layers to it and it's it's one of those it's one of those movies where you don't realize that the the genre fits as well as it does into the allegory that they're making until you see the movie and it's like oh this is just like 
this is just here inherently mm-hmm. you know what i mean in like it, basically any zombie movie so true yeah and then last week we capped off spooky october with our third pick which was my pick uh john carpenter's john carpenter's 1982 <laughs> film the thing which is about a group of researchers scientists in antarctica that stumble across basically an alien that can shapeshift and imitate anyone at any time it's very much like the game among us where the crew has to figure out who it is and uh find it and kill it and we talked a lot about really just the craft of the movie and how it's made and it's just a epic piece of film filmmaking um and we all gave it five out of five and and it was and it was a banger all three of us gave it five stars (laughs) so um this takes us to the title of our podcast triple feature so we take all three of these movies and we talk about what they have in common but also how they could work together in tandem as a triple feature so I'm gonna I'm gonna pass this off to whoever wants to get us started. What do these three movies have in common? Um. Well, I would say. Oh, do you want to go first, Connor? You want me to go first? <laughs> if you have something, because I I have two things that I found. Alright. Okay. So. I, well, I was gonna say. I mean, just like the general, um, the general presence of like an unknown threat. So I mean, obviously with cloverfield and the thing mm-hmm. you have you have like this creature that nobody fully understands nobody fully comprehends um and then in in blood quantum i mean you have the zombies but i would say really sort of the un unknown threat is almost like the the idea that there would be like the specific group of people that aren't immune to it and like sort of what that or that they are immune to it and sort of like what that means Mm -hmm. in in the context of the movie so like there's there's like a there's like an element of mystery to it that it's 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 super important to the film but it's also like the it's like the dressing for a much more in-depth meaning behind it, if that makes sense. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that leads into like one of my first observations, which all three films are monster movies. Yes. Uh, like, like those being like, with Culverfield, like, no dove, like a huge monster. But then, yeah, with blood quantum like the zombie outbreak and then even in uh the thing just being the thing but then with the thing like it's an alien but like it has this grotesque like type monster like <laughs> like transformation technically technically yeah. we didn't really talk about this in our cloverfield discussion but cloverfield clover is an alien yes also yeah if you know about that last scene yeah the last scene of them in the ferris wheel 
the Ferris wheel together at Coney Island. Oh know, yeah, with the about? with the thing in the background. Is that what is that what you're talking yeah, about? Yeah, like yeah. It, you see it you see it like, fall down from the sky. Yeah. yeah. In that shot. Yeah. So it's an alien. It didn't like it's not like well, there are other, you know, big monster movies where it's like we like King Kong came from a different an island you know, or an island Pacific Rim where it comes from the sea. Exactly. Yeah. It's like no yeah. Cloverfield literally came from outer space or you know not from this earth so we have two alien movies and a zombie movie so yeah like monsters what other connections did you make Uh, the the other one that i thought about that i was like oh it's kind of interesting because the thing that i got like the the crux of what made me think of triple feature as like a concept was i watched texas chainsaw massacre and then I also watched like one of the Friday the 13th movies. And in those, like each movie has a character that's in a wheelchair and dies. And I thought that's such an interesting like <laughs> like connection to make other than the spooky movies. And so with all three of these movies, like another one where I was like, oh, this also kind of works too. Like all of them have like quarantine scenes. Mm, where, like yeah, That's very in, true. In like Cloverfield, it's when they, you know, get off the subway and they're in like mm-hmm. the, the JC Penny or whatever it is. Yeah. And uh and then what's her name uh dies from like the bite that happens from one of the monsters, and then in yeah. Blood Quantum mm-hmm. it literally is a zombie outbreak that they and end up quarantined themselves. From... And then the thing, it's just happened circumstance of well, we gotta quarantine ourselves because we don't know who is the thing and who who is, you know. Yeah. Well, and I mean, the film literally starts with the with the people hunting like they're hunting down the dog that Mm -hmm. has basically managed to escape their quarantine measure, which was we got to destroy everything. We have to destroy ourselves, too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, I mean, in general, they're all. All three of these movies have gore in them. Oh, yeah. Like. We have obviously we have the zombie kills and blood quantum. We have we have, <laughs> I mean every single practical effect in, in <laughs> the, the, the thing. thing. <laughs> and then super we have, gross, super gross yeah. and, and disgusting. Yeah, and we have like the bite scene. The bite scene is probably like the most gory, like iconic scene from Cloverfield. So with, yeah, like, seeing her like. You, yeah. you got the like the gash, and then she goes behind that curtain, and you like her watch eyes her are explode. starting to bleed. Yeah, and... it's disgusting. <laughs> Blood quantum, I mean, is a classic zombie gore, like with axes and yeah. chainsaws and guns and just every... samurais. Can't forget the samurai. Samurai, we had yeah. that. Yeah, it's the best zombie weapon, samurai. So very gory. Well, I guess I my. Solo, my the only connection that I made between these films was that all three of them are or could be interpreted as an allegory for something else. Yeah, yeah. Like Cloverfield could be an allegory for post nine eleven. Blood Quantum is an allegory for colonialism mm-hmm. and displacement and just genocide in general. And the thing, which I don't think we really talked about last week, but we did talk about how there and and all of these things 
sorry, to just go back to Cloverfield and Blood Quantum, all of these things are about kind of what's happening at the time. So like with Cloverfield, yeah. it's just a few years after 9-11. With Blood Quantum, you mentioned that there was recently poisoning in indigenous waters in Canada when this movie came out, or at least where it was set. Yeah, when it yeah, takes when place. It, when it takes place yeah. in the 80s. With The Thing, what's happening in the early 1980s we have the Cold War. We have like distrust mm -hmm. with Russia and with each other. We're accusing each other of, like, as Americans at least, like accusing each other at, at this time of um, being spies and things like that. Yeah. And so you have this group of men who literally cannot trust each other yeah. because the thing can not only imitate the person, but might also start to think that they are that person. That and so person. you cannot yeah. trust each other. And it just, I mean, they are already so isolated. They're in fucking Antarctica. <laughs> yeah. But then you cold? add, and it's, and it's, and it's, <laughs> and it's in Antarctica, you know, it's cold. And no, but I, I think that there is oh, something point. to be said with, you know what's going on at the time and how americans felt in the 80s and like how that can be interpreted with this film yeah. so um i think all of them and i i honestly think that's just what movies do in general they're reacting to like what's happening in life but yeah. all three of these have a very obvious maybe not so obvious but to me <laughs> they they are they are more than just a narrative they are meant to represent something else yeah like no realistically no art is going to be i no no artist is going to be incapable is going to be capable of separating what is happening in their lives from their yeah. work like there there's always going to be a through line unless it's sh unless it's shit art I mean, yeah, but I, I, I totally agree with you. Yeah. But it's like even like even something like Dadaism, which is like entirely supposed to be nonsense, is like part of the reason that it's people are making all of this art that's supposed to be nonsense is because they're all like they just it's it's like we don't even understand how we should comprehend the world. Like we've just gone through this horrific war, and we. It, like does anything mean anything so it's like even that is like inherently tied to the mindset of the people at the time so I, yeah i think every all art is going to have that tie to like what the artist yeah. is experiencing when they make it yeah so i think all three of us because we're very proud of ourselves are gonna say that this is a great triple feature but we want to hear from you, the audience, if you think this makes a good triple feature, if you think these movies are connected. And if you found a connection that we didn't find, yeah, let us know. Uh, you can. How can they get a hold of us besides Instagram? You can follow our Instagram and you can comment on our posts. Yeah. In Instagram is probably the most accessible or they can email us yeah they can email us now let me you just make sure that i you know it's drop the email correct dot feature dot cinema at gmail.com triple dot feature dot cinema at gmail.com one more time connor 
Triple dot syllable dot. No. <laughs> Feature dot dot no. dot Morse code. Morse code. No. no. <laughs> Triple is... dot feature dot cinema at gmail.com gmail. right. <laughs> or on well, youtube you watch all three of them back to back and tell us exactly what you think because we're on youtube as well freddie correct one city it's on youtube Bold. as well so you can comment on our youtube videos thank you connor yes. for that yes you and also on itunes on itunes you can leave a review but That's right. i would try to not do it for episode because with yeah. itunes it's just for the podcast itself yeah but you're right uh, but yeah, like I think like what we said, Instagram or the email, email. or even uh, YouTube. the the YouTube would probably be best of where we can see comments. Amazing and feedback. Well, you know, like I said, I think we did a good job with this triple feature. At the end of this episode, we will reveal what the following month will be, no, what November will be. So stay tuned. But first, we're gonna move on. And talk about killers. killers. Of the... <laughs> oh no! I just choked. Killers Everybody of the flower once. moon. <laughs> Ready? One, two, three. Killers, killers of, the, of flower. the flower moon. <laughs> oh, we were so Man, close. We were really close, but I. That's know. gonna sound awesome. <laughs> it's gonna be great. Fantastic. For those of you that don't know, we are not recording in the same place, so there might be a little delay. <laughs> anyway, um, so. Killers of the Flower Moon was released last Friday as of recording. We are recording the following Thursday. And it was released on October 20th. It is Martin Scorsese's most recent film. And it has had quite a slow release. It, it's been waiting to come out for like four years. Not even four years. But like it's been at least two years since I've seen that picture of Leonardo DiCaprio and Lily Gladstone <laughs> sitting the uh, at picture. the kitchen table it's been a long time seeing that same image and so i f you know it's really nice to finally get to watch this film uh the first thing we're going to do before we get into the movie is talk about the director martin scorsese who is probably one of the most prolific um <laughs> filmmakers ever and he's made several films. I don't think that he is maybe any of our favorite filmmaker, but you know, he's he's made a lot of good stuff. So 57 films it says on Letterboxd. Yeah. So, um let's first, did you want to say something, Freddie? Oh, I was just going to say that. I think it's I think it's safe to say that Martin Scorsese is almost like an institution in yeah. cinema like it's it is like if you are a fan of film you are going to interact with martin scorsese movies at some point because he is so prolific and he has so many films that are highly regarded <laughs> there's a lot of noises coming from my upstairs neighbor so i apologize um we'll just keep that in the recording it's sorry, fine sorry. Um, sorry, yeah <laughs> so um yeah what we're gonna do is talk about our favorite scorsese films i don't think any of us have seen a lot of his films definitely not all 57 so 
I don't think he's directed 57. I think he's, I think, some the, of I think those are like short, short films. films. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's, that's including that short films produced. and other, and other things. No, it says director of 57 films. Cause there's another, there's another category for producing too. So that's with his features and his short films and True. his documentaries yeah. and all of that. So, um, how many have you watched Connor and which ones have you watched? And then which one is your favorite? Are we counting his short films? No, we're not counting okay. his short films. We're counting just how many feature films we've seen. I yeah. believe I've seen seven of his okay. films. I've Which seen ones? Goodfellas. I've seen Casino. Uh, I'm trying to scroll up on his IMDb. Goodfellas Casino, The Departed, Shutter Island, Wolf of Wall Street, and now this one, Killers of the Flower Moon. And okay. I would say out of those, my favorite is Shutter Island. Love Shutter, Shutter Island. Island. Okay. Freddie, you're next. Um so I've I've seen five. I've seen The Wolf of Wall Street. I've seen Taxi Driver. I've seen Goodfellas. Um I've seen Gangs of New York. And now I've seen Killers of the Flower Moon. Nice. Um it's going to be Killers of the Flower Moon. Okay. Before that, it was Goodfellas. But. Okay. Very good. Um, I have seen nine. I've seen Wolf of Wall Street, Taxi Driver, Shutter Island, Goodfellas, The Departed. The Departed. The Irishman, Raging Bull, which is in the top 10 of AFI's top 100 films of all time, which, like, like I said, I don't endorse that, but I just... Uh, yeah, it's it's one of his best. Um, I watched Killers of the Flower Moon, Silence. Is that nine? Five, six, seven, eight, nine. It is. So, yeah, I'm kind of stuck between two of my favorite. It's either gonna be Killers of the Flower Moon, or what my favorite was before I watched Killers of the Flower Moon, which is Silence. Which I don't think either one of you have seen. I haven't. I really wanted to see it when it came out, and then I didn't. No, do you're it. probably one of the ten people that saw <laughs> shame, it. Shame, shame. Came out in 2016, and I was kind of blown away by it. It was incredible, and I would say my just just we don't need to get into the conversation, but I just thought it was very notable that my least favorite that I've seen is Shutter Island, and that was your favorite. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, yeah, Martin Scorsese is not a type of guy that, yeah, I need to, just like Agnes Verter or like all these like proclaimed like directors and stuff, I need to like actually like sit down and go through the filmography. But like Shutter Island's one that I recently rewatched, like I think last year, and I'm just like, yeah, this is a really good movie. But like a lot of his <laughs> movies, I don't really connect with because I, because like we had our conversation about The Godfather, like I don't really care for goodfellas i don't care for casino i also rewatched wolf of wall street since watching it since high school and i'm like yeah this is fine so it's like a lot a lot of his movies i feel like like in the sense of like i like it as a film but i don't like support the narrative of wolf of wall street yeah. of like where like ha yeah. it has been taken from like the frat boy culture and mm -hmm. stuff no. that's where I, I don't like that aspect of, of the movie of like how it kind of gets like uh american psycho and stuff it gets American Psycho'd um, and it gets taxi drivered. 
Taxi yes. Driver has the same problem. Yeah, um, but but yeah, but with with it, it's just like I I understand like I understand like the guy's prolific. He's amazing, and a lot of those movies are like really good movies. They're just not like movies that I care to like rewatch or whatever. And the only one that I do like connect with that way is Shutter Island. Okay, that's that's good. I yeah. I kind of feel the same way as you. Like I don't think he's one of my favorite directors. I I've watched his films. And I am like, yeah, that was well made, very good, but I don't really care to ever watch it again. Um, the Departed was probably one of the only ones that I felt like I would watch again, as well as Silence. Yeah, that one I need to give a rewatch. But the Departed. <laughs> I just felt like The Irishman was just boring. <laughs> it was just you can boring. see why i didn't see that one <laughs> anyway and goodfellas was like okay like people talk about goodfellas like it's this <gasps> oh thank god i really someone's like on my side i'm, like, the, I'm a... the odd i'm the odd one out here okay but... that's fine and so many people agree with you yeah but i watched it I and i was just like okay you know so i just i kind of have like a i love i have a love-hate relationship with scorsese because he makes such good movies but at the same time a lot of times the 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 main character sends a message that i don't necessarily like (laughs) well i think that i think part of the part of the like unfortunate situation with a lot of scorsese movies is like he he is a very talented director and so he like he directs with his like with his knowledge and his ability and i think that that i think that his talent is is almost lost on a lot of sort of the general audience that takes in these movies and that's why you get a lot of these people that just end up idolizing these characters that For he's real. like I didn't make this movie because I wanted you to like this person yeah. I made this movie because I wanted you to see somebody think somebody that thinks they have the world and then watch it get pulled out from underneath them and, and um, in reality they're just losers which I think yeah. he did very well with something like Raging Bull Raging Bull is about a very toxic character but he really depicts him in a state of loss and he's just a loser yeah and that's the only time that i felt like the trope was done well by scorsese (laughs) because wolf of Wall street and taxi driver and the goodfellas kind of like glorifies to me like just, mm-hmm. like that's my opinion there is a there is a a gray area of yeah. glorification for these people and I well it doesn't help yeah it doesn't help with wolf of wall street that the dude is still alive and he's like and still very rich. like Go well, yeah. well going on a like world tour. Of that. Yeah, yeah, now he's profiting off the movie. Going like, look, Leonardo DiCaprio played me in a movie. Like, look how sick my life is. And it's like that's not helping. <laughs> like, crypto anything. boys eat that shit up. Yeah, because he'll yeah. he'll be on Twitter and he'll just get a bunch of, you know, yeah. he'll get a bunch of revenue and a bunch of likes and lots of views and people just love that. And yeah. 
So, I so while say, he has contributed to cinema in a great way, there is something to be said about how his characters have impacted culture in a negative way. I will say, to transition, I do think that Killers of the Flower Moon is his best iteration of portraying monstrous yes. people and yes. not have it come off in any yes. sort of glorification yes yes or glorifying kind of way yes there i, I yes, wholeheartedly there agree. is no there is no gray area with yeah. this film so yeah let's let's move on to the movie because we watched it we all watched it i will say however i kind of wish i would have watched it for a second time before talking about it because oh, same because this movie is so long <laughs> And there's so much to it, and there's so many details, and and that's why I brought my notebook honestly, in the theater. There's honestly too much to say about it, and I really want to give it another watch. So yeah, that's I will us. be seeing it again. Yeah, that's us kind of saying like this conversation is going to be a first watch. Like we are just getting our feet wet with this movie mm-hmm. kind of conversation. So expect it to come well, I can... up again. In recently watched talks in future episodes, especially at the end of the year or during the yeah. Oscar season, or yeah. I could transition into my thoughts and experience with that because, like, my overall experience with the movie is like I going off of like me with Martin Scorsese is like I really enjoyed this movie. I think this is the one that I connect with the most, where I was actually engaged, even though I was more like. I mean, like the conversation that it is, it's three and a half, like, like three and a half hours long. Like, yes, it's a long movie. And I was a little abrasive about that. But like it, the pacing is very well done. I wasn't bored throughout it. There are some lulls in the movie, but like overall, I wasn't like, oh, my God, like, when is this going to end? But in the end, when it ended, I do appreciate that we saw this and I like this movie a lot, but I don't think I want to go back to the theater to see this i think if i'm gonna rewatch it i think i might be on apple tv when it comes out then but even then i'm kind of like to me this kind of feels like what i describe as a uh homework movie if that makes sense of like this feels like something i would have watched in high school and it's something where like oh this is really good i connect with the story the history is there but it's something where I don't really feel like I need to revisit again now that I've seen it. Something like a Schindler's List or things like that. Uh, where yeah. the story is so heavy or just topics or things like that where it's like, okay, now that I've seen it, I don't necessarily think I you know, need to see it again. But with, with this, I'm like, I might because I do really like the cinematography, like the performances and everything. But it is just going to be one of those like, I don't know if I'll actually like watch it in full and stuff. It, I, I'm... I'm a mixed bag with with this movie. Yeah, I I don't trust myself to watch something like this for the first time at home. This is something I needed to see for the first time in theaters, but I think you're right. I think I won't go back to the theaters. I think I will wait until it's released on Apple TV to watch it for a second time. And a lot of that has to do with there's so much else coming out. <laughs> in theaters that I want to go see and I'm really just not going to have time. So I, but yeah, I think to our audience, please go to the movie theater to see this because it is very 
gorgeous and impeccably made. Yeah. And something to be something to be witnessed yeah. in a theater with an audience with the best sound quality and best visual visual quality you can find because I just think it's really important to do those kinds of things. Yeah. Now I have a I have a whole soapbox rant ready to go. There um, we go. <laughs> but I'll I'll keep it I'll keep it brief so we can get into other things. But um so I am uh I am most likely gonna see it again in the theaters. Um because I know Faith wants to see it. Yeah. And I think that she needs to see it in a movie theater. Yeah. Um <clears throat> but with the because I don't really wanna like I don't particularly want to dwell on the runtime for too long because there's part of me that is like frustrated with how much of the conversation around this movie is based on the runtime. It's so that annoying. It's three and a half hours. And I'm like, this is what what's what's frustrating is that we live in an age of streaming and TV shows. And people sit and watch TV shows for yeah. five, six, seven, eight hours at a time. And that's like a point of pride for people where they will sit down and say, I watched the entire season of new show in one day. And then it it comes to sure. this it comes to this movie about this real historical event, this tragedy, and all of a sudden, like everybody's shirt collars are too tight, and they're fucking yanking on them. Like I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. That's a that's a big commitment. And I'm like, please, <laughs> please, are you serious? It's like, and it's like, does it have to be three and a half hours long? It's like th this story is. It's worth it. It is, it is like a decade's mm -hmm. worth of information, and it's being given to you in three and a half hours, and, you're and still then not you're getting all the details, and then you're still like. That might be a little too much. I'm mm -mm. like, it's just, I can't. Osage, it gets me. It gets me just like riled up. The Osage people deserve more than three and a half hours of your. I time. think like to to <laughs> yeah. jump off of that too, because like I I've also been on that soapbox of like yeah, like people not wanting to watch a certain movie like that, and then the, like you said, like they binge like this whole show. But I think like I think like what I've been seeing from the conversation, at least like from like film people and stuff like talking about it is like what we talked with Martin Scorsese's last movie, The Irishman, because The Irishman was also very long and that long, one wasn't was received, boring. which was also <laughs> boring and stuff. And I think that's where it's people being like, does Scorsese need to keep making these long movies if yeah. like if they're going to be bad like this? The fact that yeah. this one is it's good is like... the different conversation, but it's the yeah. fact that he had a miss before is kind of like. Uh, like is this one gonna be good so i and think really... that's where some of the conversation is but i do agree of like with this one i listened to another podcast and they equated to this movie is the same length as a football game with overtime so if yeah. you can watch yeah. a full like if you could just watch sunday like nfl red zone anybody that's anybody that's listening that watches nfl red zone you can watch this movie <laughs> like it is yeah it is I the just, same i just length. think people i think people are just like like choosing to not see how many other things they dedicate 
three yeah. and a half hours to or even more yeah. in one go and so it's just it feels it feels disingenuous to have that be like the main concern in watching this movie yeah yeah i did bring this up because i was also on this soapbox and i'll just repeat what i said just the osage people those each deserve your time and they deserve way more than three and a half hours of your time so if you are hesitant to go see this movie because it's long and you tried to sit through the irishman on netflix and you couldn't that's fine the irishman was boring and this isn't this is paced very well um and i i came home uh and i, I kind of talked to cameron my uh husband about this issue and he was like he actually pointed out the first episode of our podcast. He was like, weren't you complaining to Freddie about that seven and a half hour movie <laughs> on your podcast? And I was like, yes, I was. And honestly, half of that is a joke. But at the same time, that's a that's like a full day of work versus, you know, three and a half hours. But like, yeah. Just wait till I start. To- just wait till I show up here and I start talking about Lab Diaz. Oh, we'll, we'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> no, I and like I said, like it's it's yeah. mostly in jest, but at the same time, yeah, at the same time Avengers Endgame was about 3 hours long. Yeah. People didn't think twice about making that movie a billion dollars. Literally. Um Avatar, 3 hours long, 2 billion dollars. Like y'all can do this. It's just a matter of I, yeah, I just I kind of wish people yeah, would to stop put to put a runtime <laughs> to put a pin on this. Like the biggest endorsement I can give our fans is like I like like I told Freddie and Emma, I was the most embraceive of doing this because of the runtime and because of like I didn't care about you know I don't care about gangster movies or another subgenre I don't really like is uh, westerns and I'm like I don't know if I'm gonna really like this. This is like a great movie theater experience. Like. After we got done, like I put in the group chat, I'm like, yeah, I'm so glad I saw this in IMAX. I'm so glad I sat down and saw this in a theater. Like, I don't think I would have got the same experience that I did if I saw this on my TV and Apple TV. Like, this is hands down, like a great theater experience. And it's a fantastic movie. And I think we should get into probably like the themes and stuff and all those things that we can get into <laughs> with I this do movie. Too. Well, let's kind of get into the synopsis. So Freddie and I are book readers. We read David Grant's Killers of a Flower Moon, and it is a nonfiction, almost journalistic telling of this guy's research into the murders of several members of the Osage community in the Osage area in Oklahoma and a lot of the book focuses on the FBI Mm -hmm. because in this time in the 1920s the FBI was kind of like a baby organization and J. Edgar Hoover basically started it and I have very harsh opinions about J. Edgar Hoover so do not misread me when i am talking about this man because i think he's an evil piece of shit but he started the fbi i also think the fbi is a piece of shit organization but like i said i digress (laughs) this is the beginning of the fbi j edgar hoover basically started this as and, and 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 basically he needed 
a reason for the FBI to kind of get clout and get basically like a reason for existing. And so these murders were happening and the local and state authorities were unwilling and unable to figure it out and get justice for these victims. And so the federal government had to step in. And that's kind of like the focus of the book. A lot of it is about Jesse Plemons' character, Tom White, and his investigation. And I learned recently that this film was meant to be, was was first meant to mimic that story structure. And Leonardo DiCaprio was actually supposed to play Tom White and not Ernest Burkhart. And it was going to be more, most mostly about the FBI's investigation. And what ended up happening was a shift in perspective. And so Martin Scorsese and the writers decided to focus less on the FBI and focus more on Molly Burkhart and Ernest Burkhart, who are a married couple. Molly is an Osage woman and Ernest is a white man who has just returned from the First World War and he is going to live with his uncle, William Hale, who basically kind of has has found a way, in w- which we will talk about. He's found a way to run this town. And so he's like looking for a job and money from his uncle. And so I think the decision to change this perspective from the FBI to more of a personal perspective of this like interracial marriage between Molly and Ernest is very inspired and I really think that's what makes the movie so good and so much better than the book actually and like I said the book is good but the book is a little bit more procedural whereas the movie is a little bit more dramatic yeah no the the book is 100% like just a journalistic telling of this story and he makes it very interesting Interesting. almost like a whodunit yeah um in a way but the I do I do the movie kind of lets you in on who the villain is in the first 10 minutes whereas yeah. the book does not do that. So as book readers it was it was I just I just thought it was a great way to tell the story mm-hmm. to kind of change that perspective and so well, I yeah. would say where the book is more the book tries to be a little more who done it the movie is more how deep does this go how yeah. deep does this person's how like well you know how what how think, large is the reach i think we needed Ernest to be kind of the main character mm-hmm. which is you know leo leonardo dicaprio decided that he was going to play Ernest when they decided to make Ernest the main character and i think that seeing it from his perspective we learn a lot more about the inner workings of the plot if you for lack of a better word than we did from the perspective of the authorities yeah yeah i never i never read the book i'm i'm more of a movie person i've seen more movies books aren't my forte if it it is going to be a book it's probably most likely going to be a comic book um i'm i think i'm pretty yeah 
what's the better word i'm just i'm just not good with reading i i I don't have the imagination like most people do when they when they read so normally when a Mm. when a book becomes a movie i'd rather see the movie and stuff Mm -hmm. that's how i can like gravitate towards comics but hearing that it was like a non-fiction book i probably would have maybe read it because i don't really have to imagine (laughs) imagine a fake world and stuff but but yeah, it is it is interesting hearing I did also hear that, yeah, it was supposed to be the FBI, but they didn't want to do that because it was more of a white saver movie than more about the the Osage than themselves. Right. Yeah. And I do agree right, exactly. that that the whole pillar of this movie is Molly and Ernest's relationship. And like Freddie was saying, like how far how how deep does this rabbit hole go of when you meet uh Robert De Niro's character, the the king? Uh, and how much of a stranglehold he has on this town and stuff and just like what that involves and things and the the going into the yeah the the rabbit hole of this journey was more like fascinating than yeah than a whodunit type of thing because they also had a script where it was like uh kind of be revealed like having a twist where robert de niro was the villain but they're like this movie doesn't need a twist it doesn't like, need a twist, yeah. It's it's yeah. all about the history. Yes. It's to just tell the story because the story is menacing enough. Um, I think we need to also shed light into kind of the conversation that's happening around the film um, in regards to this choice to center Ernest and Molly. There have been a lot of Native people that have come out, a lot of Native actors that have come out and kind of voice their disappointment with the choice to make Ernest the main character instead of Molly, which we can talk about. But um, a lot of the Osage members that were at the premiere, there was a man that said something to the effect of basically because Ernest is the main character, this becomes a story for essentially white people. To It's a story for white people to see and learn instead of a story for native people and then devery jacobs came out and said pretty harshly that the depiction of the osage murders were insensitive and that also that molly should have been the focus instead of Ernest. if you don't know who that is she was in um reservation dogs and she was in blood quantum mm-hmm. uh, she had a kind of a small part in blood quantum but um so i think it's important that we at least bring bring that up yeah well no i think i mean i think that's a big part of it and i do want to talk about that more so i i mean we can just get into it right now okay um so i do think it's important to we're gonna know- spoil this movie by the way yeah so if you haven't seen it I do think it's yeah, important to guess about that... our other podcasts. We spoiled the movies. Yeah. yeah. But the the Osage man that was at the premiere talking. Mm-hmm. I think it's very important to note that he says specifically if it were to be from more of Molly's perspective, that should be something that's told by an Osage yep. director. Um and I agree. the this is and this is where it becomes like this multifaceted thing. And I and I think Martin Scorsese 
approach this film from a perspective that he knew he was going to understand and be able to tell more. Mm-hmm. It's like like almost like recognizing like I'm not going to be able to I am not going to be able to properly capture this. Yeah. I am doing the best that I can to represent this culture, but I know that viewpoint of this story is not mine. Yep. Um, and I think he told the viewpoint that most adequately fits his viewpoint. Yeah. And I also think it is just very obvious that Martin Scorsese took so much time and care into honoring the victims and honoring the history and getting the story right. Yeah. That even though even though it is frustrating that, you know, it's from a white person's perspective, especially a white person who committed atrocities. Yeah. It's it's it that can be frustrating, but there's there's a rhyme and a reason to it. Yeah. And I think so what I want to mention is there is another um there is another native film critic. Um he goes by native media native media theory. Um he has a YouTube channel, he has an Instagram page. You can check him out on either one. Both of them are native media theory. Um and he he recently did a video on Killers of the Flower Moon. And one of the things he says in it, which I think he words it perfectly, is he says Scorsese has a history of showcasing the inner machinations of evil white men. <laughs> yeah. And I think that perfectly sums up the yeah. the perspective that this movie tells the story from. Mm-hmm. Because we are we are looking at Ernest Burkhart's view, but it is it is not an empathetic view to Ernest Burkhart. Um, it's the it's Not the difference all. between your it's it's like your protagonist is not your hero, mm-hmm. right? Um, and I do think that with the story being told in that way, Martin Scorsese is a very great director for them to have do that. Mm-hmm. Um, with that, I. I would love to see I would love to see an Osage director make this movie. The problem is if that were the case and this movie was made by an Osage director ran by um Osage casting crew people wouldn't be seeing it. True. And that's yes. that is the unfortunate yeah. and reality. And it wouldn't get the funding that Martin Scorsese is getting. Yeah. And so I think yeah, it is not ultimately it is not a movie it is not a movie aimed for indigenous audiences. But it does do it has a level of representation that we would have liked to have seen a long time ago. Um, and I, and I hope to see, I hope to see this movie open up the door to people wanting to learn more 
about these histories that they haven't been made aware of um yeah intentionally because these these parts of history are like in they're they're supposed to be under the rug and stay there so to have have somebody utilize their voice knowing that they are this prolific director i can at least i can appreciate that for what that is and still like recognize that you know in a perfect world we would love to be able to tell our own stories but it's not a perfect world and most of the time y'all don't listen to us when we do um yep so hopefully we can go on from here and you will want to listen to us telling our own stories. Hopefully. It kind of goes back to Blood Quantum yeah. when there's that discussion we had about you know, maybe the world just forgot about us. And yeah. like just the amount of Native American history that has been purposefully kept from the majority of this country, particularly white people. Um, and how maybe something like this will change that and we can hear from more people speaking of native representation i'm pretty sure lily gladstone is going to be the first native american to be nominated for actor in any category yeah i fully expect that she might be the first winner, Connor. I, I'm, I'm honestly at this point after after I saw this movie, I can't imagine anybody beating her. Maybe Emma Stone and Poor Things, but well, well, here's her performance here's the, like what is I was... so moving. But yeah, I just because the thing it's I was thinking about, and we haven't had a Native American person nominated in an acting well, yeah. category. Yeah, the thing yes. I was thinking about with the well, we Oscars get him on stage just... and uh, what's his name? He wants to he wants to beat him up. Yeah, you know, fifty years ago. Yeah, the thing I was thinking about with the Oscars is just like it is a blessing and a curse that Dune got pushed, and the it reason is. why I say it is a blessing because of the fact of Dune Part Two seemed like it was going to be Oscar wise going to be like I, Lord of the Rings. It I, was going to sweep honestly... everything. I honestly and the don't fact, want to talk about too, and I'm yes, still so I know, mad. I know, I know. But the fact that that has got pushed this this movie, Oppenheimer, and even like things like Barbie, can get the spotlight that they deserve. Where yeah. Dune was going to be literally the enemy of the Oscars of just taking yeah. taking them all, and so well, the fact the that enemy, like that's but yeah, <laughs> yes, but, like the conversation, and and so like with it, it's just like it is going to be. Like that's why I think like she she will probably win. Whereas if Dune came out, it would be this conversation of like you're gonna have that conversation of like whoa, like it's gonna be her or whoever. Like no, nobody, nobody was gonna. Yeah, no, nobody's gonna get nominated for acting for Dune. Dune is gonna be. I really did not want to talk about Dune, but Dune is going to be Dune is going to be Lord of the Rings Part Two. Um. Dune is going to Dune Part Two is going to mark my words. <laughs> Dune Part Two is going to win Best Picture at the next Oscars because now it's a 2024 film, and I'm very salty about it. Uh, and it's going to be an award for both Part One and Part Two in the way that 
Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings was an award for all three, the entire trilogy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's a feat of technical filmmaking, not acting. So yeah, and, and it's not that's not to but, say that acting is bad. It's just it's a genre film, and genre films don't get nominated for acting awards. They just it yeah. just never happens. But to put it and so. Um, to put it back I to, think that even if Dune came out this year, Lily Gladstone would still probably win okay. Best Actress. And to put it to what, what I was going to talk about with Lily Gladstone and to bring it with what we were talking about at the center point of the movie, me personally watching the movie and hearing people talk about the movie, I do think that, yes, the movie centers around Ernest, but I also do think that the movie, the movie's main focus is Molly. Because it's her family that is getting murdered. And it's just the fact of what Robert De Niro says at the beginning of uh, these these Native Americans are smart. They don't talk very much, but they're smart. So don't think that when they're not talking that you need to talk. And that's what Ernest does the whole movie. (laughs) It's like (laughs) filling in that space. It's that black blackbird talk. And I think it's just a lot of like every scene that Lily Gladstone's in is so captivating because like I'm focusing on her because it's the wheels turning on her going, mm-hmm. what is this guy doing? Especially towards the end of the movie. Cause she does get sidelined where Ernest is slowly killing her with, with the poison um, with the insulin shots. But once when she comes back, like it is that, that great scene of when she asks him like, you know, were you killing me and stuff? And he what just goes, in- yeah, what yeah was like in the shots what was in the shot but also like are you lying to me like when he talks about how uh yeah no did you know that they beat me in the the prison and stuff like when they got off that scene with brendan frazier like telling him like yeah no you need to say that they beat you so that you could be on your uncle's side a whole, a whole bunch of scenes that i could talk about but like she is just looking at him going he's lying to my face like like he's doing that thing where he's just talking 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 because he could have yeah. just said, yeah, no, like, no, I'm not lying to you. But then because she's not talking, he's like, did you know that they beat me? Did you know that this happened? Did you know that this happened? Like, yeah. just get going. I'm glad you it's caught like, that because I didn't really catch that. That's a really good, that's a really yeah. good um, observation. Um, yeah. She, it, it, the, foc- the focus is on her because Ernest is focused on her. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And Ernest is focused on it's very interesting because the way that the script is written and the way that Leonardo DiCaprio plays Ernest, it is very apparent that he is, he has, he is internally struggling because at, on, you know, on one hand you can tell he actually does have, like he does care about this person. He does love Molly on the other hand his love is not greater than his fear for his uncle which yes. is the like the first thing she says to him well the first when thing she asked him is start well the first thing like, she dating. says to him is she calls him a coyote yeah which he ended up being so she was right about that mm-hmm. second thing is are you afraid of your uncle she was right about that too so yeah, yeah. william hale was right they're very smart but um <laughs> Back to what I was saying, like, it's like Leonardo DiCaprio does something pretty significant in this movie, too. Mm-hmm. Um, he His performance is also p- 
pretty astounding. And he has a career of very, very good performances. So to be able to say that I think is significant, but he is doing, he's doing a lot of internal acting. Um, and he's obviously very conflicted. Yeah. To me, it felt like he was pulling a, a Rick Dalton from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. <laughs> like, like his performance felt like what what Rick Dalton would have done for this movie. <laughs> like, play, like, like playing a bubbling idiot like that, if that makes sense. Like, it, sure. even like the way that Leo talks in this movie almost sounds like Rick, too. <laughs> I just sure. couldn't, like, get, get that out of the way. But, but yeah, with yeah. the love thing of, like, him with his love it is that conflict too because it's something that i somewhat picked up that that's on a rewatch i need to make sure that i clock this right i kind of noticed throughout the movie that Ernest only cared about his son that their first child which is a daughter he likes that but there was like at one point where he kept like when he kept asking about his children he kept asking about what does his son think and not even like his first daughter and I don't know well, if that's, that's interesting if that's if if that is a misogynist thing or yes. if that is also a racist thing because there's that scene at the beginning in their home when time has passed and their first two children have aged yes. a little bit. They're probably like five or six years old. And Ernest's I think it's Ernest's mom and dad are yes. sitting at the table yep. and they are just yep, 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 blatantly yep, yep. um saying the most race racist tell, things you, you can tell say the in front of in front of their in front of their grandchildren they're like this one looks like a savage and this one looks like more like a white man or whatever you and couldn't tell the difference so i wonder yeah. if that has something to do with Ernest's internalized racism yeah. um, or it could just be his colorism it could just be yeah. it could just be his uncle as well of like cuz the thing that i'm still like, because I don't know much about this type of history and stuff. I'm not really a history person. I'm more of a science sci-fi type of guy <laughs> and stuff. So, like, history never really, I never really passed on that in school. But with the headstone rights and stuff, like, it's it seems more of, like, instilling with his uncle and stuff of, like, there needs to be men in the family because that's what's going to get passed down. And also, especially, like, with Leo's character, if, like, he's going to have children, like, he needs a boy in case if Leo die, if Ernest dies, then his boy can carry on, like, you know, their bloodline and stuff. And I think that's what that scene is also kind of representing, is that, like, the boy looks more white, so that it's, like, it's more of that bloodline versus the, yeah, the racism of, like, it's, he doesn't look native. So, like, no one well, will know, well, that's, like, yeah. later down. And well, so I, I mean, always thought that was interesting, too. Yeah, well, I mean, so the I mean, as far as as far as that goes, like there is an argument to be said that because one of his kids is uh, more white passing, he's probably more there. He he is probably more likely to be deemed competent. Yeah. And then therefore able to have more free will over his finances. But as far as the head rights go. Um, that's more tied to something like the Dawes Act, which is like a big part of this, but it's, it's like only kind of alluded to in the movie, 
but because it's that the Dawes Act, it's being split between the Guardians thing is the Dawes Act. Okay. Well, not the Guardian. The Guardians thing isn't as much as isn't as much the Dawes Act. Um, It's a product of it. Yeah. Well, uh, the the Guardians thing is a product of the U.S. government saying uh, (laughs) these Osage got too much damn money, and we don't like that. So basically, but to give context to our audience. We're talking about how the Osage people found oil on this land that they were forced to be on that was deemed unlikable or useless. And then they found oil. They got rich. They -hmm. were the wealthiest people per capita in the world at this time. And the U.S. government essentially said, you know, if you were deemed incompetent, which most of them were. Because yeah. w- they're it, it's it's subjective, then they would have a guardian who basically oversees tells you their oversees their finances and tells them how to use their money. Yeah, and so uh, also important side note: the reason that they have the money they have is because when they were uh, when they were making treaties with the United States government, they had the foresight mm-hmm. to say that. This is not only our land, but everything underneath the land is also ours. <laughs> yes. Because yeah. if that were not the case, yeah. they would not have that money. And everything that's just how under the land, everything that's underneath is also ours. Yeah. Good thing. Nothing but, above the land is profitable, like in the skies. Yeah. So <laughs> so the Dawes Act, though, is because the Dawes Act applies across the entire United States. It was... Okay. It was basically the government taking more land. It was they 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 said, you know, we're going to make these we're going to make these native people landowners. And so what we're going to do is we're going to assign every head of the household a chunk of land um on the reservation. And so they s- divided up all the land into allotments, which is which is referenced in the movies when Molly sees her the we just the guy that oversees her money yeah her guardian her guardian um yeah she tells her she tells him her allotment number but and she says incompetent okay yeah Mm -hmm. and so it was all divided up into allotments and then conveniently there's not enough heads of household to claim all of the land on the reservation so the rest of it just got sold off by the government to anybody but the other the other effect of that was that the land was getting incrementally smaller because it was your allotment was divided equally among your children so it's not so much that you would get more if you were a girl or a boy per se it was just like the amount of kids that you have is going to affect how how much smaller their portion of your land is, and then the amount of kids they have affects how much land right. they they have. And so, okay. which is why when Molly and Ernest are going on to their third child, and they are both happy. It, I mean, it, it seems like mm-hmm. yeah. Ernest is the one to to announce this to Hale and their visitors that are at the dining table that they're going to have the third child and hale is visibly angry yeah that they are going to have another child because that's less money for him yeah and and he's been and he's been basically encouraging Ernest to poison his wife 
and she's been sick and he pulls him into the room and he's like you've been loving on this woman and her sickness and it's like of course i have like that's what he says he's like we're married to each other yeah because to Ernest, like this isn't yeah it is a proposition that he was encouraged to go into yeah. by his uncle but he also wanted to do it he also found molly attractive wanted to marry her (laughs) and Mm -hmm. wanted to have her like wanted her to have his children and so he's he's ernest he's not very smart (laughs) yeah ernest was too stupid to realize that his uncle was handing him a business proposition and he's instead of a marriage yeah Yeah. he's like oh i just get a nice i just get a nice osage woman yeah you know um So yeah, I mean that's that's sort of that whole thing with like allotments and stuff. Not so fun fact. It 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 didn't like there wasn't like an end point for that. It was just like it'll get smaller. So like my okay, um my my reservation has had allotments that were the size the size of a postage stamp. Jesus. So nice. It's like here you go. Here's your land. Put your freaking big toe on it. Um, that sounds like yeah. But, that sounds like that thing online where you can get like a plot of land, like in Ireland or whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. But like, oh, cool. It's yeah. So yeah, there's just there's a lot okay. of things, and it's it's one of it's. I appreciate that it's there because I think the people that are really impacted by this movie will want to learn more about it, and so. they'll see these threads and this web of indigenous history and how it's like this is like this is all tied together because this is the historical reality of us but also the osage people are just one entity of many of mm-hmm. many native yeah. nations and tribes and peoples they all have different ways of announcing themselves and different titles for themselves and native people Native Americans are not a monolith. Every one of them mm-hmm. is so different. And every one of them has a, has experienced an atrocity very similar to this one and that we just don't know about because their stories have not been told. Yeah. Or they have and we just don't have access to them or we haven't reached that level of rabbit hole and whatever you want to say, you know, like yeah. it's just yeah. not as readily available to us as white media it's not it's not going to be handed to you yes you're gonna have to look for it exactly Um, yeah it's like that that leads to one of my biggest things that i've learned about this movie of like that they even reference in the movie of like it's a shame that this movie is the first time i knew about this type of history and that i didn't even learn about this in school and another thing that they reference in this movie that I also found out through TV and media was the Tulsa massacres. That the first time I learned about that was the Dang, show Watchmen. I was going to talk about the Tulsa massacre. Yeah. Yes. And just the fact that these things that like, I'm like, how, like, like there's like, this was a great pick for October for spooky month. Cause there's nothing more horrifying than just the American history. I, <laughs> like, say that. I honestly thought about saying that, like, is this yeah, a horror but, film? <laughs> Yes, yeah. because like, and and that's what was so like throughout the movie. Like, I wasn't like, like, like terrified, but it was terrifying in the vein of like, like Robert De Niro's like presence was so like terrifying. Like, like it was even a like film in a way. Yeah, and so, but like with the Tulsa massacres, like it was crazy to like 
like we could talk about that scene of like how like I put one and two together with that of just it's crazy that King goes to this theater and sees like this is how they get the news is the the film like like back in the day was like you know this is what's happening in the world uh, blah 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 and they show that the Tulsa massacre happened and there's you know these explosions of bombs and that's the seed that plants him to go oh we can just oh. bomb we could just bomb this house until they give you that funny moment where they're like too much dynamite. <laughs> yeah. Like, it just blew up the neighborhood. But like, it's so crazy that these points of history of like, again, like with the Tulsa massacres, it took me to Watchmen and how Watchmen uses that for their whole crux of yep. bringing, bringing that history and, and racism in, in there. And it's just, again, like, it's just crazy that like, like, like we're saying, like, this is why this needs to be seen. Like this is different than like any other movie and stuff, because like, yeah. this is a story that needs to be told. And this is something yeah. where like, I agree of like, yes, it could have been told by an Osage uh, director and more of like all this stuff. But I think the thing that people are, you know, trying to swallow down is like, it like, it just needs to be told. Cause it's yeah. like, this is, this is some, this is, this is history. It needs to be told yeah. with this amount, with this kind of budget, with a prolific filmmaker that people are going to see whatever they make, because yeah. if it wasn't if it wasn't like this, not as many people would be exposed to this history. So I also was going to bring up the Tulsa massacre scene because, just like you, Connor, I did not learn about the Tulsa massacre until I watched The Watchmen on HBO, which is a crime of the American education system. Um, yeah. And I just want to give context to our audience of what we're talking about. But also in the 1920s and also in Oklahoma. So these things are ha- that that's what struck me so much was that <laughs> I didn't even me put too. two and two together until I saw this movie that mm-hmm. these things are happening in the same place in the same time. And I think where they're at, Grey Horse is definitively pretty close to Tulsa. Um, yeah. I, I've been to Tulsa, so... I've, I have an idea of where it is, but anyway, they're watching the news. The community is there. Yes. King is there, but I was struck by how the community of Osage people were responding to this news and how they were kind of, you, they weren't saying it out loud, but they were, the wheels were turning, you know, like. Uh, so so just to give context, sorry, the Tulsa Massacre took place in the 1920s and um, on a place called Black Wall Street. And it was essentially this place of booming economic prosperity for specifically a black neighborhood. And they were also incredibly successful, wealthy. They had basically an entire community kind of going for themselves and white supremacist people who did not want to see that happen because of racism and bigotry went into this town in the middle of the day broad daylight and just bombed the whole place and killed almost everybody and some people were able to escape most of them were not and they were just massacred And that's why it's called the Tulsa Massacre. And so I'm watching this movie and I'm watching the Osage people living in this community where they're getting picked off one by one, like watching the wheels turn in Mm -hmm. their face like this is happening to us, too. Yeah. 
and to the to the point when the bombing happens <laughs> in the in that thing, there were there were some lines of dialogue where they said, "This is just like Tulsa." This is just like Tulsa. Like, yeah. Like mm-hmm. like oh damn, and then we get that scene of some of the native people leaving and stuff. Yeah. Just yeah. like, yeah, we're out of here. We're <laughs> like, gonna get out of here. Yeah. Like, well, it's like what I, it's like what I was just saying, where it's like you're you're successful, you're wealthy, but you're that's not, not white. supposed to happen. <laughs> but you're for, not white. Yeah. So that's not no. supposed to happen to you here. Mm-hmm. And so, yep. the society makes damn sure that it. They'll do everything in their power to make sure that does not happen. White supremacy makes sure that doesn't happen. And yeah. Well, it's crazy too because, like, it's in a the disease movie, that they show... still exists very much. Though <laughs> it's crazy too because in the movie they have that scene where Ernest is walking in the in the town and there's that parade and there's just the KKK <laughs> just in the yeah. parade and it's the it's the guardian that that is the KKK member and it's just my thing of like racism just blows my mind honestly of what people pick and choose to be racist we're like in this town they're like they quote unquote like the osage people they're not like as a parent about it you know what i mean like they'll slowly pick off these people but then no. like they're, they're up front about like they don't like black people because like that's what the kkk is about and i'm like that's so crazy they they, <laughs> they could just bury some things but then like be so open about others that it's just like that if you're gonna be one thing you gotta be all of it man i think they are though because they yeah. are very open about oh we like them but they don't see them as equal they don't see them as human it's like yeah. an economic resource they are an economic resource they are something to be extracted they are not human beings their lives do not matter and that is i mean that's that's evident to me and and yeah like I, I think you're right like some things are more blatant than others but they're not very nonchalant about their bigotry yeah. you know you can be con- like you can be nice to someone and still yeah think i just i just thought of <laughs> yeah i just thought of the scene where the guy sells them sells them the car yeah i yeah. i yeah <laughs> okay yeah it's um but so d- diverting a little bit, I do want to talk about before we're done here. I do want to talk about Lily Gladstone's performance specifically. Yeah, like, we, we kind of got into yeah. it a little bit, but like we talked about Leonardo okay. DiCaprio, and I do think he does a good job of in like representing like the, the inner conflict. turmoil mm-hmm. of this of this man and just yeah. his. But Lily Gladstone is like the standout performance of this movie. She's captivating. I couldn't keep powerhouse. Her of her. Yeah, yeah. And the scene, it's like <clears throat> the scene that really did it for me is. I know exactly what you're going to talk the, about. It's after the bombing, mm. and she's in the basement, and it's like you've watched her all the way up to this point <laughs> be just like one thing after another after another, and like she's devastated. But she is trying to like maintain some level Control. of stoicism. No, her pain yeah. is so severe that yeah. it just comes out in the most physical way. Yeah. No, it is just it's like you see the moment that it's like I can't I can't take this anymore. Yeah. And it's just that her just her scream. Like her entire—that was the last of her family, mm-hmm. besides her children. That was the last, 
and her pain is so great and i even wrote that down i just because that i mean it, it got to me i just all i said was he's causing her so much pain for what yeah for money mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah no i was crying so much yeah pain. that scene that scene <laughs> and that... not just physical pain like yeah he's making oh. her physically ill but he's responsible for the yeah. deaths of her entire family yeah and he and it's he's for such money a, and he is like <laughs> he is such a coward in that scene where she confronts him directly she knows the truth he knows she knows the truth and she he can't even do her the courtesy of looking her in the eye he's and telling her that i was poisoning you mm-hmm. it yeah. was insolent and he's just crying yeah he can't he can't even he can't he does not have the balls mm-hmm. to tell her that he was killing her yeah it's y'all this movie <laughs> yeah lily... i really want to watch it again <laughs> yeah lily gladstone is just a powerhouse like she like like we're saying like every scene that she stepped in my eyes just immediately glued to her yeah like, and, she, and she's just a scene steal. like that's where i'm like when everyone's like she... oh the other performances are so good too and i'm like like I kind of forget those performances because like Lily steals so every good. scene. Like that's why I'm like the Leo performance. I'm like, yeah, it's good. But like, I don't know. Like, time, like, I think like he's better Leo, in other ones. Leo, and, <laughs> like, yeah. and this this is just about acting skills. It's not about like personal life. But like Leo is an incredible actor. And every time they're in the scene, they're in the frame together. Oh. I don't I don't give a shit what he's doing. Yeah, I'm my eyes are glued to her because she is so commanding and so captivating and she just demands your attention there's yeah. something about her she's in reservation dogs too mm-hmm. can God. we speaking of performances and we're spoiling this movie we're we spoiling this damn movie about we Brandon need to Frazier. talk about boy <laughs> john Lickow, lord oh, farquad himself Oh my god. So I forgot that Brendan Fraser was in this movie. I must have saw like an announcement that he was in it or something. And then I just forgot. So when he showed up, I was like, oh my god. But then it took me like three seconds to figure out that that was John Lithgow. And I'm like, oh my god. <laughs> like this scene just got even more insane. And yeah, like it's incredible. I think I think Brendan Fraser's performance is pretty good. I don't think it's the whale, the type of whale performance, but I do think it's a good role for a bit character. But yeah. I think the best supporting <laughs> like character is uh, the actress that plays uh, Anne. She was like incredible. Is it I'm Anne or? To... <sighs> oh, are you talking about the sister? Yes, the sister. She the sister was that dies. Yes. Well, they all die. Sorry, the sister that got shot in the back of the head. Yes, she was. Oh, okay. She was incredible, and then even uh, the man, because I wrote <laughs> like as soon as he showed up, I'm like, oh man, you know this is going to be a banger of a movie. Jesse Plemons. Like, yeah. Also, well, he plays. Like... So he ended up playing Tom White, who Leonardo DiCaprio was initially supposed to be playing when the story yeah. was focused on the FBI and their investigation. So because. Once when he shows up with the FBI, because also the 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 coolest character, in my opinion, like I was like, I want to learn more about this guy was the undercover Native American FBI. Agent. Dude, 
and he was that guy. hot as fuck. He did Tatanka so That guy was good. That guy was cool. I, could I was not like, this, keep my eyes off. This is a him. cool guy. Like, Hi. Him. Hi. And Thank you. the <laughs> him in the scene where uh, they they're trying to bust Ernest, and they bring in the one guy, the the mustache guy. I forget what his name, like his character name is. The what the guy was like. Right, get your pencils out because <laughs> he's about to tell her a thing. That guy's oh, also yeah, pretty yeah, cool yeah. too. Oh yeah, <laughs> the one that has um, to do all the side jobs. <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah, he's yeah. like, I don't want to do your Blackie dirty Thompson. work. Come on, yeah, yeah. Like, right. Come on, man. Um, the so the the undercover FBI agent. He is he's played by Tatanka Means, and he is a. He's a comedian and an actor, so if you if you want more of him, you can seek it out. Okay, like we so were yeah. I have one. I, I'm, I, I have want one to. more. I have one more cast comment, and then I think we should move on from this. But I thought it was very interesting that there were not one, not two, but three musicians in this movie. Yes. So. True. Jason Isbell was playing Bill. What's his last name? Bill, not Bill White. Um, Anna's not not Anna. Um, <laughs> the husband that married both of Molly's sisters. Yeah. Oh, that's a musician. His Bill. name is Jason Isbell. He's an Americana singer. I've seen oh. him in concert. <laughs> I was like, I... no. He, no, he was a very good. He did a very good job. He yeah, he was, was that, he was also very one, good. The one scene that he had where it was just him and Leonardo DiCaprio oh, in the, banger the of piano, and he's just like Bill Smith. Bill Smith, yes. Um, and he's just like, oh, are you gonna kill me, or is that, or is that, um, you know, your brother's job? And he's just like, I know what you're doing. I know it's you. Um, really Do good. You want a drink, Sturgill? Sure, I'd want a drink. <laughs> Sturgill Simpson. Is also in this movie. Is also a well. I wouldn't call him. I would say Jason Isbell is more Americana. Sergio Simpson is probably more folk country. Folk country, outlaw country, outlaw country. Yeah. That's what I was looking for. He's more of an outlaw country singer. But then I started applauding at the end when Jack White. our guy, our guy Jack White. Yeah, I'm like, what are you doing, man? What are you doing in this scene? But Jack White is just, which I think we should probably talk about the the final scene of yeah. the radio um, program because I just think it is a incredible way to end this thing. <laughs> yeah. um, I think it says a lot about why Martin Scorsese wanted to tell this story and yeah. his perspective. So we'll just kind of spoil the ending for you, basically. The final scene is a bunch of white men mm-hmm. telling this story, the entire story, the almost the entire story of what we had just sat through three hours of watching with an additional story of what happened to Molly after. Yeah. Afterwards. And they are kind of doing this radio program. As if it's the news, mm-hmm. but they're also well, something that actually happened. They're adding all these sound effects, and it's almost like it's, it's not the... it's not done with the reverence that it needed. 
Yeah. And it's kind of goofy and silly. And then our guy, the director himself, Martin Scorsese, gets up and tells us that Molly died and was buried um, next to her family. And at the funeral, there was... At the funeral and on the gravestones, there was no mention of the murders. Yeah. And so what are our thoughts about the ending? I I think it does a really... I think it is really effective at sort of portraying the idea that it's it's this story this story it really has like gone ignored for so long Too by long. people outside of the Osage tribe hundred um, years and that it's it's like this spectacle there's a there's this spectacle being made of it in that final scene where it is um it it is just the like the inception this, of like true crime basically mm-hmm. yeah like, it's like, like what what like a true everyone crime assumes podcast. right now yeah mm-hmm. yeah it's like isn't this such a isn't this such a crazy you know isn't this such a crazy story like what what would you but know. like it actually happened to real people that suffered and lost people. Yeah. And a hundred years later are still suffering from that loss. Yeah, it manages it manages to represent this dissonance between like the reality of a lot of these historical tragedies and how they played out and then how a lot of them get remembered if they get remembered in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, it, cause it is just like, well, Oh, we need to tell it. We need to, we need to talk about it from this like glorified, uh, like, you know, overproduced with like goofy sound effects like Mm -hmm. you know it's like war of the worlds right yeah Yeah. it's a radio show Mm -hmm. like and it's for entertainment instead of education yeah and empathy i think the ending for me hit a lot harder when it kept going of the fact of i i like i liked when martin scorsese gives his final thoughts but then the powwow uh Mm -hmm. scene which is the final scene of the movie, which is mm-hmm. all of the extras shot, and actors yeah. of Osage people uh, doing a powwow. And what I noticed with that is it almost looked like an eye in a way, because it's a god shot. It's like a over. It's a bird's, like, bird's eye, eye view. You yeah. say. Yeah. Uh, and so with that, it it almost felt like an eye of just like. It almost felt to me like the Osage people like looking to the audience and being like. Mm. What do you think of this? To the effect mm-hmm. of the song keeps playing and I stay for the credits because I like to see I'm a weirdo and like to see who does the VFX and all these like other <laughs> things. And staying there, it when the song finishes, it starts playing rain rain noises. Wow. And it hit hard of me thinking back to what Lily Gladstone says at the beginning of the movie when she's with Ernest and they're mm. on like I just think sit. like the first date oh my God. and just stay yeah. and just think. <laughs> and I was just like, Oh, like I, it was just me and these four old ladies in the back that were talking <laughs> about the movie. And it just like, 
it just hit me hard oh, of just like what did so i just sweet. watch and what like what does this mean and like all that stuff and just like a wave of just everything happened Jesus. and it's just something of like like it made me think of like that ending again and being like the people that left at these credits that everyone leaves like as soon as it says directed by everyone gets up and has to book it to their car i'm like these people probably bathroom (laughs) or the bathroom like these people aren't like these people are probably getting what they got with the radio show of just like wasn't that a cool story okay like time to go home sure (laughs) to be fair though we watched it and it was over at uh, one in the morning. So we did yeah. get up as soon <laughs> yeah. as the credits started rolling. Mm. So I think that if you're going to go see this movie in the theater, you would benefit from doing what Connor did, which was going at like 9 a.m. in the morning and being I went done to the first like, showing. You know, <laughs> yeah. one in the afternoon and, and having the rest of your day to sit and ponder and think and, and absor- yeah. absorb what you just witnessed. And because I think that's beautiful that's a beautiful observation that you made that i didn't make but yeah there's that scene towards the beginning when the storm rolls in and she's like no don't close the window we're gonna listen to this yeah and you know what no we're gonna sit for a while Mm -hmm. and we're gonna we're gonna exist in this storm yeah to me adding adding that rain sound effect at the end of the credits kind of it's made gorgeous. me like realize like solidified like oh scorsese understood Shit. the assignment like <laughs> yeah, like yeah. he really knows did. what he was doing and it's just like damn like like that like that is the first time like we're end credits like made me go fuck yeah man <laughs> like yeah, man. yeah. <laughs> like like, like well, got so, it so there there is like this great book ending effect as well with the with the powwow scene at the end um to bring up to talk about native media theory again um because he mentions the powwow scene at the end and how it you know it's like this it it's really kind of like blatantly saying like we're we're still here yep right like all of this has happened but Mm -hmm. we're still here and it kind of and it like kind of works in this um book and way with the scene at the beginning where they are burying the pipe and they're sort of mourning these they're like mourning the way things used to be and how they know that things are going to change moving forward and they even say um like our kids aren't going to know a lot of our culture our kids aren't going to speak our language um mm-hmm. and so you get this sort of like the mourning at the beginning of just like what's to come and then the resilience at the end of that's beautiful. You know, we're we're still here despite everything. Um, yeah, but yeah, it's dude, it's really great. I will say, y'all, my 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 last thought. Um, <laughs> and it, and it's just a quick little snippet about all of the death scenes. Um, because they are they're hard to watch. But oh, I yeah. wouldn't say that a lot of them are very, they're not overly glorified. Mm-hmm. And and that not over glorification also makes them surprisingly extra shocking. Like the amount yeah. of scenes where it's just people walking and then somebody just pulls out a gun and shoots mm-hmm. them. And it's like, yep, this person's dead now. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it it works in the sense that this is really the mindset that people 
had yeah, it was it's really like good. it's it, because you have these people and they're so ingrained into this they don't even feel like they're killing human beings right and devery jacobs is entitled to her opinion and we're entitled to our opinion mm-hmm. um everybody's gonna have a different visceral reaction to this yeah. movie because it's it's honestly really hard to watch it's it's not an easy watch it's gonna hurt yeah it's gonna be painful I felt like I was getting hit by a car throughout the entire thing. It is not easy, but it is necessary. <laughs> yeah. It is so necessary. It is so important. So I do think I do think that it will be it will be I think it will it will be extra triggering for native audiences yeah. specifically because it is so grounded in a reality that still exists to this day it's real um but yeah i do think it's all right i've yeah since we're wrapping up soon i have just some final thoughts in my notes the the couple things i wrote down that i noticed of like the like when uh ernest believe it's ernest that's driving into the land and he meets uh, Henry, and he asks, like, whose land is this? And he says, my land. And, like, the fact that he says, my land. And then even when Ernest talks to uh, Molly, and he says, you know, like, oh, like, I like your skin. Like, like, what color would you say that is? And she says, my color. And yeah, the I fact that they, that they they have these of, like, this isn't, like, you know, something of, like, this isn't yours, you know, type of thing. And I just put, you know, white white men be snaky. <laughs> just yeah. like trying to, Coyote. you know, yeah. just just trying to get in there. And then the other one of just, you know, like the blatant rancency of like, we already talked about that scene of like them noticing the, the children with the grandparents. But then that's that fight that breaks out with Anne. And then those people calling them savages and stuff. And it just, I wrote like, it would have been a different scene if they weren't native probably. <laughs> I've just been like, oh, she's just drunk and whatever. And I'm just like, the the use of savage was kind of yeah. appropriate there. And then the, la- the last one that I picked up that like is a little spoiled in the trailer, but like is so subtle in the movie of when Ernest is reading the book about the Osage people and it's the, you know, can you spot the wolves in this picture? Mm. Late, yeah. Later in the movie, someone tells Ernest about uh, King uh, Hale and, and his wolves. He's like, you know, he's got a lot of wolves out there. And it's not mm-hmm. until Ernest gets to the scene where Brendan Fraser, his attorney, quote unquote attorney, brings him into that room with all of the to- all the white townspeople. And I wrote down like, there it is. He's, he's, in, he's in the den of wolves. All the people like, there's that all the wolves. Have- all of the people that have power and something to lose if Ernest does not yeah. side with his uncle. Yeah. Yeah. And I was just like, like, God, like, the, like it was one of those of like, because it was such a good trailer and that like end shot of that trailer of like, can you spot the wolves in this picture? And it's that scene of like all of them in that, that room. But I was just like, man, like the way that they did in the movie too, of like when you slowly pick it up there was also like just chef's kiss of just like marty marty you know what you're doing yeah for sure okay we need to wrap up yeah um let's do ratings uh my my rating is 
I would say four and a half. Um, I think it is a fan. It's a it's a really well executed movie, and I think that I think that Martin Scorsese has managed to tell this story from a perspective that he understands he is best inclined to tell it from and still and still but still in spite of that like strives to represent the culture even though he knows that he is not telling it from within that culture um and I think it's fantastic. Like I said before, this is my this is my new favorite Martin Scorsese movie. Um, I think the only thing that would be five out of five is that difference between having it being told from mm-hmm. the perspective of the culture itself, and like like we discussed, that's just that is a much larger conversation. Mm-hmm. Which, if you support indigenous filmmakers and indigenous artists and storytellers and and let us rise to mm-hmm. a reverence to be able to tell it on a platform this mm-hmm. large yep you know that's that's how we that's how we get there so yep support all right connor mm-hmm. yeah like to jump off of Freddy, like 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 what bong Joon ho said at the oscars like like I know it's like a little different, but like you know, once in once when America opens up their eyes to subtitles, like you're gonna open up to a whole world of cinema that you've that, never seen. Those before. two inches on the bottom of your screen, your screen. All you have to do like, is read. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it, and it's just something of like yeah, like if you just <laughs> watch stuff that you know that that is everywhere, like you'll you'll be introduced to so many great things and yeah i agree with that but for me i gave this a nine out of ten i like 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 we're all saying this is an amazing film this is a great feat this is a great picture i think the only thing like for me why it doesn't get a five like a 10 out of 10 it's just the fact that like this isn't my normal like what i like to watch type of movie like i said this feels like a type of like one and done type of thing for me i don't know if i'll end up re-watching it a lot throughout my life and stuff so like personally i like on a technical level i think this is martin scorsese's best like i could say like this is martin scorsese's like best film but personally i still think like i like sure island because that's what i would like rewatch more but i do think that this is like 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 he, he probably has so many magnum op- like like masterpieces like his like magnum opus but i do think that this is like like something where it's like only only he could have done and done it in such a way that that is so masterful that like like we're saying like a story that needs to be told and that hopefully that this story ends up getting told more as as the door like freddie's saying hopefully the door opens to that yeah for sure just let me clarify my four and a half is four and a half out of five or nine out of ten yeah yeah yeah. we it's all the same thing math um i'll try to be very brief because we've been recording for three hours so (laughs) i don't think our podcast will be three hours long but (laughs) it'll probably be about two oh boy so um yeah i'll try to make this as brief as possible but um i also gave it a four out of five 
four and a half out of five. So a nine out of 10. And similar to Freddie's point, I just think that the only thing that could make this a five out of five is if it were told by a different perspective, basically with more Lily Gladstone. Uh, that's all we need is more Lily Gladstone. Um, and I just, I do think this is Martin Scorsese's magnum opus. I do think that this is, it instantly became my favorite Martin Scorsese film. Um, it became his best work in my opinion, uh, almost immediately after watching it. So yeah, I think we all are giving it very high praise and I think we'll be talking about it a lot more towards the end of the year towards Oscar season when it's going to pick up some steam so let's move on to the next thing yeah because we have more (laughs) um we're going to talk about our next month um November so in the month of November we are going to talk about uh Vietnam movies so we're calling it Vietnam November this was essentially my idea and it came from a place of not having a lot of Vietnam films in my film knowledge. Um, basically not having watched, basically, you know, it's, it's a blind spot for me. A lot of the classic Vietnam movies are a blind spot for me. So I... <clears throat> was listening to a podcast this summer from The Ringer. It was on the Big Picture podcast, and um, basically the host of the podcast went through the history of Hollywood's relationship with the Vietnam War, and I just found it to be incredibly interesting, and it made me realize how many Vietnam movies I have not seen. So I'm using this month as an opportunity to hopefully watch more and learn more about this period of you know cinema and I hope that our picks are interesting and engaging and I hope that we can learn something about this moment in history as well so um that leads us to our first pick our first movie of Vietnam November which we will discuss on next week's podcast and it is going to be sea bears pick you're going to start us off again yes so like emma i've also not seen a lot of vietnam movies but like i kind of revealed a couple minutes before like or a while ago his history really isn't my biggest subject type of thing so i kind of don't really reference to that but also like Freddie knows in college I took like film class there and the professor was a Polish uh, teacher and so he showed a lot of Polish films and a lot of those are uh, World War II films mm-hmm. but with that uh, there when Emma presented this month I'm like I don't know if, I don't know what movie I would pick then one came in mind and that pick is Kong Skull Island <laughs> I've seen at least one Vietnam movie. Okay. Um, it is definitely it is definitely not a typical uh, pick for what people think of Vietnam, but I remember the, uh, really liking this movie, and I remember liking it for the reasons why I think it works as a Vietnam movie. 
uh, in my opinion. So I'm very excited to talk about it and discuss it with everybody. And especially for the fact of if, because I don't know what everyone else is going to pick, but if everyone else picks traditional Vietnam movies, there'll be great discussion on if these work as a triple feature. (laughs) (laughs) We shall see. Um, Tell us what year King uh, Kong Skull Island is and where they can, where our audience can find Skull Island. Yes. Kong Skull Island is from 2017. It is available to rent on iTunes, Amazon, YouTube, and Vudu. Um, All right. So catch yeah. that movie and watch it before we record, uh, before you listen to next week's podcast. And go rate and review us on Apple and Spotify. And go like us on YouTube. Subscribe to our channel on YouTube. Do all the things to support us because we're just getting started. And, you know, we're we're amateurs over here. So yeah. Yeah, To also um, follow us on Letterboxd as well. My letterbox is Big Papa Sea Bear. My letterbox is Emma Hodge. Mine is F Dakota or Fred Dakota. All right. So follow us on Instagram as well. Triple, triple feature pod. Those are all of our socials. And thank you for listening. If you've made it this far. Wow. Applause. We appreciate you. Applause. We love you. All right. See you next week. Bye. 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 Support indigenous cinema. <laughs>